Amen. Well, good morning. So glad you're with us this morning, South City Church. Uh, to the moms, we just, we have to say you're the best among us. We love you. You are absolutely wonderful in every way. And we are so grateful for you and so thankful for you. And uh, we celebrate you today. And I can't think of a better way to celebrate moms than for us to dedicate a baby this morning. So I want to ask for the Rivas family to come on up. If you will, Pastor Elvis, will you come as well? About a year ago, Hector and Karina came. Come on up here. Pastor Elvis, come with them if you will. I want you to translate for us. They uh, went through our What's Next process and became partners at South City. And uh, while they were in the process with us, they um, found out they were pregnant with Oreo. Look at that hair, man. That is, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of that hair. This is one of my favorite things to do at South City Church. The Bible tells us in Psalm 127 that children are a heritage, inheritance, if you will, from the Lord, a reward, fruit of the womb. The Bible says that children are like arrows in the hands of a mighty man. And this is number five, right? Sequel. So you have a lot of arrows, brother. You are a mighty man and a mighty mom. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we are so grateful that you're part of our family and we love you. Will he allow me to hold him? Come here, buddy. Look at this good looking fellow, bow tie and everything. I mean, he's just chilling. Hi. This is Oreo Emilian Rives Gomez. Right? Friends, what we love to do at South City is to remember that we love children just as Jesus loves children. Hector and Karina, do you make a promise today to dedicate? this little boy este hijo, to Jesus Jesus, to disciple him in the ways of Jesus Jesús, and to raise him as God's son. Amen. And so I turn to us, the family of families, because though it is the parents' responsibility to disciple our children, the church comes alongside and says we'll help, right? That's what the church does. We come alongside and we say, we want to help this family. We want to bless this family. We want to serve this family. And we want to walk with them in helping Oreo become a disciple of Jesus that he needs to become. Right? Are you with me, church? If you agree as partners of South City Church to commit to help raise and disciple Oreo to the discipleship of Jesus, will you say, we will? Amen. Amen. Let's pray for this young man, can we? 
Lord, thank you for this beautiful little boy. What a blessing he is to this wonderful family, this godly family who loves you, who honors you, who has made a promise to raise not only this child but all of their children in a way that honors you and disciples their children to know you and walk with you for the rest of their lives. Lord, as their church, as their family of families, may we walk with them, love them well, serve these children, and help them raise them in such a way that they grow up honoring you with their lives, with the decisions, Lord, of their hearts. God, thank you for the privilege of family. Thank you for the privilege of serving other people's children. What a blessing it is. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful for your kindness and mercy. Thank you for Oreo. We pray a blessing and greatness over his life, loving and walking in you for the rest of his life. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I could just hang out here all day, I'll be honest with you. Bless you. Let's give them a hand, can we? Thank you, Pastor Elvis. Jesus loves the little children. Will you sing it? All the children of the world, red and yellow, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the Yes, he does. Thank you, Daryl. Some of you sang that song to me when I was that age. Didn't you, Miss Glenna? <laughs> I'm so grateful for the church of Jesus loving on children. And I'm so thankful. There's no better, really, there's no better text to teach on Mother's Day than the text that we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at four short verses, but don't let them fool you. There's a lot of good stuff in those four short verses. Verses 13 to 16. Mark 10, 13 to 16. So you're opening those up. We've been in this series in the book of Mark. And uh, just last week we were in our city groups, which our city groups meet all over the city. And it's a beautiful, beautiful time together as families having dinner and the Lord's Supper and studying God's Word. And the thing that we studied is that this, the Pharisees had come to Jesus and they want to challenge him on divorce. But instead of the focus on divorce, Jesus says, let's talk about the ideal of marriage. Instead of talking about what they want to talk about, Jesus says, let's talk about my design for marriage. And so as, as families all over the city, we talked about the beautiful ideal of marriage between one woman and one man for a lasting covenant relationship for the rest of their lives. That is God's original design for marriage, right? And so that's what we talked about. And again, today, now we're talking about children. So we're talking about marriage. Now we're talking about children and family, and it's a beautiful time to do that. So let's read this together, Mark 10, 13 says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them, the parents speaking of here. 
But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Pray with me this morning. Father God, what a privilege it is to be together as the family. What a privilege it is, Lord, to open your word and to learn about how you value, love, protect, and give an example of children as the kingdom. God, I pray that you would open our hearts to what your word wants to teach us today. That your spirit would be so clear to us as we seek to obey you, to love you, to raise our own children in such a way that we, like these parents, bring them to you, Lord Jesus, that you might do what only you can do in their lives. Lord, we love you. Open our hearts and our minds. Spear the living God and teach us and show us. Help me to stay out of your way that you might increase in this place and I might decrease, oh God. It's our prayer. We love you so very much and we give you this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, today we're talking about children. Like I said, don't let these four little tiny verses fool you. You know, sometimes we talk about, when we teach scripture at South City, we talk about the Bible can be both prescriptive and descriptive. Sometimes it can kind of just describe what's going on in the story, and other times it sort of prescribes what we need to know and what we need to learn, and that's the case in this four verses. It's bookended. The first verse and the last verse of our text this morning are kind of descriptive. They kind of tell us what's happening. But the middle two verses are really for us to learn something. There's something for those disciples to learn something, those parents to learn something, and for these parents and these disciples to learn something today, and it's quite a bit uh, to learn. So let's dig into it. First of all, we see that parents are bringing children to Jesus. Right? He's, he's the healer. He, he's, he's Messiah. They want him to bless their children. Of course, what a wonderful thing for, for him to do, but to bless children. Mark uses this phrase uh, in the Greek, that literally means when he speaks of the children they're bringing to Jesus, it's not big children. In fact, the word is often used for unborn children to babies and little infants. So Jesus is receiving these little babies. And as they bring them to him, he's, he's blessing them and he's enjoying them. But the disciples are frustrated. They don't like it. They start rebuking those parents, right? Jesus gets very upset. Verse 14 says, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. This is, a, this is a strong word here. He says to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for uh, to such belongs the kingdom of God. You know, the first point I want us to see this morning, that Jesus values and protects children and the vulnerable. This is the only time in the New Testament that this word is used to describe Jesus. In fact, one theologian I read said, this may be the angriest Jesus ever got. He was irate. The word indignant means irate, agitated, frustrated, angry, livid. It even says that Jesus then rebukes the disciples. And the word that it, that it uses here for the, when it says that he rebuked the disciples is the same word used when Jesus rebuked Demons. 
He is not happy with the team. He makes it clear, no, 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 let them come to me. He rebukes them very seriously. It's a very serious charge. Let them come to me. I think we have to understand the context of how children were valued in that time period and others because the Bible tells us all throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament and New, there were different values of children. Even the Old Testament didn't have the greatest value of children, right? We have the story of Pharaoh killing many baby boys to try and eradicate the, the first deliverer of God's people, Moses, right? They stick him in a basket and float him down the Nile, and he ends up growing up in Pharaoh's home. Well, in the New Testament, we fast forward a little bit, and we see that Herod tries to do the same thing. He tries to kill all the babies in Bethlehem to try and get rid of the ultimate deliverer of God's people, Jesus. Of course, he fails. God shows up to um, uh, Joseph in a dream, tells him to take his family to Egypt, and so they, they escape that situation. Even in Rome, which is kind of the occupation of Rome all over the, the, uh, Israel that we're reading about, Romans don't value children. In fact, outside of Roman encampments and cities, there would be a, a town dump, a city dump. And if you didn't want your child, or if there was a defect in your child, there's anything that you didn't like, you could just take your child to the town dump and leave him at the city dump. Horrible, horrible reality. Of course, you can imagine what might happen with children who are left at the dump. They become slaves. People will come and get those children. They become slaves. They become prostitutes. They become gladiators. It's an awful reality. But I love that the first century historian, Jewish historian Tertullian, says that Christians became known for valuing life. I wonder where they began to learn to value young life. I bet it was in a story just like this, and maybe this very story in Mark. Because Jesus values and protects life. And so Christians in the first century began to come to these dumps and adopt these children. And they might have several children that they're caring for. And if the child was already deceased, they would give it a decent Christian burial. They valued children. They protected children. And I think it comes here from Jesus' value and protection of children. Yeah, I'd like to say that our culture has learned to value and protect children, but we haven't, have we? As of this time last May, we had aborted uh, 63 million babies in our country. So the number's probably around 70 million at this point. And sadly, that's the case all around the world, that the culture of the world is that we value our convenience over the sacredness of life and the holiness of our God who created that life. God forgive us. God forgive us and God help us. So in that culture, here is Jesus and he does something unbelievably divergent. He says that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these little babies. These little rugrats running around, getting in the way and the disciples telling their parents, hey, get them out of here. And when Jesus says, no, 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 the kingdom belongs to them, there's a gasp. The air is sucked out of the space. 
And they go, what are you talking about? How, how can the kingdom belong to, to these? They mean nothing to us. What does that even mean, Jesus, that you're saying that the kingdom belongs to such as these? Jesus says, don't hinder them, let them come to me. You know, Jesus had taught the value of children before. We just studied back in Mark 9. You might remember when Jesus said, uh, if, if someone leads a young believer in a, in, the way, in a wrong direction, causes them to sin, it'd be better for them to be dumped into the sea with a millstone around his neck. Remember that? And he's holding a child in their presence, giving this example of a child. So the disciples have been warned. They, they've been given this information before. We should value children. We should protect children. We should understand how much they mean to me. And so here Jesus is doubling down even more so, making this comment about the kingdom. They should have remembered this. Second thing I want us to remember this morning is not only that he values and protects children, but that he also uses children to give us an example of the kingdom of God and of our faith. This is another uh, uh, example. He's, he's, he's got these children in his presence, and he's going to use the visual aid. And I have a beautiful visual aid with Oriel this morning. What a cool little guy. What a beautiful visual of the, even the story that we're reading today of Jesus as he's holding these babies as he's blessing these babies, and he gives us an example of the kingdom. He says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. This jaw-dropping moment. Why? Because culture doesn't tolerate children. In fact, the team, Jesus' disciples, they don't tolerate children. And yet Jesus says the kingdom belongs to these. What do you mean? I want to show you four quick things that I think Jesus is possibly saying here. Four huge theological statements in these two little verses in the middle of our text today. The first one is this. Jesus equates himself with the kingdom of God. Right? Look what he says. Let the children come to me. Don't, don't hinder them. Let them come to me for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Let them come to me because for to such belongs the kingdom of God. There's this connection to Jesus and the kingdom of God. In fact, wherever Jesus is, there is the kingdom of God. Wherever he is, wherever he goes, there is the kingdom of God. Wherever God's people go, where Jesus is living in them, there can be the kingdom of God. And we pray the Lord's prayer, right? We pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, right here among us, as it is in heaven. See, Jesus made this point in Mark 1, verse 14. He says, Mark is saying this, he says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, right? Messiah has come, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus, he's making this connection now that the time has come, now that the time is fulfilled, now that Messiah is here, now that I'm here, the kingdom is here. 
So the thing that we have to understand is if you want to be a part of God's kingdom, you have to come to Jesus. You can't come to God's kingdom and bypass Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father unless he comes through me, right? So Jesus is the kingdom. If you want God's kingdom, if you want God's salvation, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to know God, then come to Jesus. And that's what he says. He says, don't, don't hinder them from coming to me because for to such belongs the kingdom, this connection of me and the kingdom. Jesus and the kingdom. The second thing that I think is so important for us to see is that the Pharisees, and they have been a part of this picture already in this chapter, they have created this environment of legalistic works, righteous, works-based system of teaching and living in such a way that it was pervasive all through Jerusalem. You had to live exactly the way they wanted you to live. See, there was God's law and then hundreds of laws that the Pharisees had added to God's law. And it wasn't just that if you, you didn't live up to God's law, if you didn't live up to their law, you were in trouble. And it was this works-based situation. So in other words, in order for them to say that you knew God was because you were being obedient to every little jot and tittle. Every little thing in their law, every little thing they said to do, you better do it. Every single thing. It was works-based. So what I want you to see here is that <laughs> Jesus is drawing a picture. And what a beautiful picture it is. Jesus here is saying, he looks at children and says the kingdom belongs to them. Now let me just tell you something. I think if you were to say who is the worst rule follower there is, probably about a five-year-old. You know, you know first, yeah, hand, yeah. You just say, just, here's the rules, guys, and they go, right, right? Kids don't follow rules very well. That's why we have to teach them, train them. Train them up in the way they should go because they don't get it. In fact, if you are a business owner or a supervisor or a boss, Adam's a boss. Adam, have you hired for me five-year-olds lately? <laughs> well, I bet when you do, they're horrible workers. See, you, they're not great rule followers and they're not great workers. Five-year-olds, right? Here's my point. Jesus uses the example of children to say, you can't earn your salvation. You can't work for it. So he shows us these pictures. Oriole laying here just kind of chilling, looking at me. You better do everything we say or you're, you're not going to, right? Are you going to follow the rules, young man? Are you going to work exactly the way I said work? Can he? Will he? No. And yet Jesus says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. It's important for us to understand, friends, you can't work enough. You can't earn enough to have salvation. It must be received. Jesus is making this example. He's making this major distinction about salvation. It's all about God's grace. And that's why this picture of these children is so beautiful. 
You cannot earn, you cannot work to achieve salvation. It has to be given to you. I, I love the image. When I say this, you'll have an image too. Christmas morning. Just go there for a second. You know, Christmas morning and children. And they can't hardly contain themselves. Right? Have you ever had a child and you hand them a gift to go, oh, I just, I couldn't. Mother, I couldn't. This is just, I, let me, let me, I have, let me work a little bit more. I don't deserve, right? Or pull out their wallet and go, I feel like I need to contribute some to this. This is way too much, right? Or, hey, uh, can we, let's take it easy on this wrapping paper. Silly, right? Dumb. No, what's so beautiful about the fact that Jesus gives this example of children receiving a gift because they may not be very good at working or rules, but they're really good at receiving gifts, aren't they? They tear into gifts. They open them up with all of their heart. Yes, a bike, right? Jesus is giving us this example of children because it's such a beautiful one. If anything that they know how to do well, it is to receive a gift. Jesus also uses this word for to such, right? What he's saying here is it's not just these children who the kingdom belongs to. It's to people like these children, for to such, or such as these, some of your translations may say. So I believe that what Jesus is also saying is there are some people who have the mental capacity of a child. For those people, they too, right, they belong to the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to them. And also, it speaks to this third statement about us, for the rest of us, and our own salvation, Look what it says in verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is a major statement. Jesus is in teaching, he's, he's teaching here this, this imperative of salvation. The only way you can receive the kingdom of God is to do so like one of these children. That's the only way. With a childlike faith, it can only be received. It can't be earned. I like the way Daniel Aiken says, we see children coming to Jesus with the help of others. No doubt having some degree of hope and expectation, small though it be, children are helpless. Their lives are in the hands of another. Yet even at a tender age, they seem to be filled with hope and expectation. They don't know all they need but they know they need the help of another and they are hopeful when they receive it. They come small, helpless, powerless. They bring nothing but empty hands and this is appropriate since only empty hands can be filled. Jesus says the kingdom of God is received, not earned. It is received like a little child or it is not received at all. By their display of trust and absolute dependence on another, children point the way to entrance into God's kingdom. Children have the capacity to enjoy a lot, but to explain a little. <laughs> they live by faith and dependence. They must trust another to survive. And friends, if you are gonna be a part of the kingdom of God, you too must trust another. 
It's not about what you can do. It's not about how good you've been. It's not about the rules you've kept or how you've followed so perfectly. It's about, simply put, the grace of God alone. Jesus is saying, come with faith. Come with the hope of a child. Simply believe. Put your trust in Jesus and in his salvation alone. Not in what you bring. Not in what you do. That's all that these children can do and that's what they're showing. And lastly, I want to make one last statement here about what Jesus, I think, could be talking about with these children. And that has to do with their salvation. Right? The kingdom belongs to them. He's speaking of have heaven, he's speaking of the things of God, belonging. Many of us have heard the phrase, especially if you've grown up in church or you've been around the church, you've heard the phrase, the age of accountability. Have you heard that phrase? Now that phrase is not found anywhere in scripture. But I do believe that the premise behind the age of accountability is true. Even this week as I've studied that concept with many theologians, there are countless, countless texts and scriptures that lead uh, to, be, to believe that premise. The premise is this. If a child dies before they have the age to fully understand their own depravity and their own need for Jesus, that they will be saved and go to heaven. Okay? That's the premise. The age of accountability isn't like 11 or 12. It's not some set age. In fact, children are different, even my children. Daisy, we made her wait until she was much older and she could articulate clearly her depravity and understand that she had a need for Jesus and his grace. She had to be able to understand that before she, we would let her be baptized. And so when she did, we let her be baptized a little older than she wanted. Well, here comes Jovi. And Jovi could pray. I can brag on her because she's not in here. Jovi, at such a young age, she could pray these prayers and we'd be praying and we'd look up at each other like, did she just pray that? Wow. She had an understanding of her own heart and her own depravity and brokenness and need for Jesus at a younger age. And as we wrestled with her and we challenged her on some things, we believed that she had trusted Jesus and we went ahead and allowed her to be baptized at a younger age than her sister. The age of accountability isn't a set age. It's different maybe for every child. But it's about your understanding of your need for Christ. And if a child dies before they fully understand that and can, can wrestle that out, then I believe that the grace of God saves them and takes them home. When Jesus, and just put, it, put this image in your mind. Jesus says to his disciples, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Just think about that for a minute. Think about all those 70 million babies and that's just a small amount of children who've passed away before the age uh, of accountability. Think about whether it be genocide or miscarriage or other causes of death. There are millions of children who die before the age of five every year around the world. Heaven is filled with children. What a beautiful image. And to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. There's too much there to go into for this message. Maybe we'll hit it again another time. I want to make this comment, though. 
every person, every baby, every unborn baby, they're not innocent. They're not without sin. Okay? Let's make that clear. The Bible says in Psalm 51.5 that we are conceived in sin. I didn't make a choice for conception. But in my conception, I was conceived in sin, according uh, to the psalmist. Right? Paul says in Romans 3 that no one is righteous. No, not one. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We all are in need of salvation. So let me make this clear. When, When a child dies and goes to heaven, it's not because they're innocent and sweet and perfect and they haven't sinned. It's because God is a God of grace. That's why. Finally, this last verse this morning, verse 16, says, he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. It's such a beautiful verse. My mind was on this verse this morning, holding Oreo. Because the Greek literally states and kind of describes that when Jesus held these babies, he held them close next to his body. He, he cradled them like you would a little baby, just like I did this morning. He loved on them. He cared for them. He touched them. He blessed them. He prayed over them. He spoke life over these children. That is such a beautiful picture of the value that God places on children. Jesus loves children. He values, he protects children. He uses them as an example for the kingdom, even for us in our faith. He uses them as an example to understand what it takes to receive the kingdom. And he finishes this beautiful lesson with this beautiful picture. Holding these babies, blessing them, speaking life over them. Can I just tell you this morning as I close, our children matter. I had the unbelievable privilege of watching one of my children help lead worship this morning. Grinning from ear to ear, right? My heart's so full. Our children matter. Our children matter. And right now, as we're enjoying this quiet time of Bible study and worship, there are some heroes across the way who are loving on your children right now. They're holding your children. They're playing with your children. They are discipling your children. They're, they're speaking life into your children. They're teaching them about Jesus right now just across the way. And it's a beautiful representation of what Jesus was trying to say to his disciples and to those parents, which is children matter. We should invest in children. I've said this before. Children aren't the future of the church. They're the present of the church. They are the church. And so we take that seriously. You know, if you've been around South City very much, you know that we highly value discipleship. And so we don't view what's happening over there as just child care. We believe it is discipleship, children's discipleship. Now, let me say this. We also believe, as I said earlier this morning, that it is on parents to disciple your children. It's not the church's job to disciple your children. It's the church's job to support you as you disciple your children but it's your job to disciple your children. And so that is, that's on us as parents. God's called us to disciple our children. 
And if we have a, a wonderful family of families that will come alongside of us and say, hey, I, I'll help. That is a wonderful and beautiful thing. This, this message this morning speaks to how we should love and serve children. Can I just tell you, I want to kind of make this a plea for us this morning as a family. We need some help. We have a lot of children that are a part of our children's ministry. We have a lot of young parents who, who bring children and they, they want to come and, and worship. And sometimes they're not able to because we have to close down classes because we don't have enough people caring for those children. Can I just, can I just make this plea real quick? Just a family, a family plea. If you're able-bodied to care for children, would you consider signing up and helping with children? It is a blessing to, to serve children, to bless those children, to teach those children. And, of course, we have a process that you go through, but I'm not talking about serving every, every single month. I'm talking about serving a few times a year. What would that look like for you to serve a few times a year to bless our kids and to bless the kids of people who are coming into our church? That's what I would love for you to pray about and love for you to consider. In fact, I've asked one of our elders, Scott Mesker. Scott, wave your hand. Scott's here this morning, of course, but he's here willing to just have a conversation with you. If you're interested in knowing a little bit more about what does it take to serve in our kids' ministry, he can help you. If you want to go, hey, sign me up. I'm ready to start serving with kids' ministry today. Scott's the guy. But I'm just telling you, as a family, we have this need, and Scott would love to plug you into that. And again, I'm not talking about serving all the time. I'm talking about serving a few times a year. And what a blessing it would be to those children, but even more, what a blessing it would be to you. And can I just tell you, Jesus values and protects children. And if we could do anything when we leave here this morning is that we would be those same kind of parents that Jesus was dealing with. These parents that brought their children to Jesus. I said, here, take my children. Bless my children. Can I tell you something? That's what you do when you bring them to church. Parents, you ought to be faithful to God's church. And when I say this, let me make this clarification, this, this understanding. I'm not talking about a service in a building. You know that. God's church are all these people sitting around here. That is God's church. You ought to be faithful to bring them to God's people, his church, to let them speak life into your children and play with your children. You ought to bring them here. You ought to serve other people's children. That is what Jesus would be doing. That's what we see him doing in this text. Please consider helping us a little bit in our kids' ministry because can I tell you something? Our kids' ministry in our service time is so important to young families who are coming to just check out our church. If they, they want to come check out our church and they can't bring their kids to a place where they can feel like they're safe and cared for and loved, they're probably not going to consider our church as a place to stay. So help us out if you can. And pray about that. Let the Lord lead you in the direction you feel like he'd have you to go. A couple last things and we're going to go. Daniel Aiken says this, and I encourage this to our parents in the room, last couple of minutes, says this. We can evangelize them with a gospel-saturated home. We can disciple them with a Bible-saturated home. We can pray with them in a prayer-saturated home. We can encourage them, bless them, challenge them. We absolutely must model for them a Christ-intoxicated life 
letting them see that living for Jesus is the natural and normal ebb and flow of life. And when I read that, I thought, Daniel, you're just talking about what Moses told us to do in the Shema. The people of Israel had to memorize the Shema. This is it. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Does that sound familiar? That's because Jesus said it's, it's the most important commandment there is. Watch what he says next. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. In other words, don't let this be some religion that you just kindly, occasionally attend. You kind of just, it's sort of important to you. No, put it on your heart. Let it be something you believe. Let it be something you live out of who you really are. And then watch what it says. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Do you think he was trying to say your home ought to be inundated with the things of God, with scripture, with obedience to Jesus? We ought to live a Christ-intoxicated life where our children just grow up and they breathe the air of that home. That's who we ought to be. And they go, yeah, this is the way of life for me. This is, this is the truth. It's the home I was raised in. And by God's grace, it's the home my children will be raised in. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Friends, God loves children, right? So very much. And what an important lesson, not only about the value and protection of children, but what they mean to the kingdom and what we can learn from children about the kingdom of God. May we lead our children to Jesus just as those moms and dads did. And may our children teach us an important lesson about the kingdom. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that the kingdom of God is not something that we have to just work for and toil over. Every other religion in the world says work for it, earn it. But God, true life, true salvation isn't about what we can earn. It's about a gift that we've been given in Jesus. And what a beautiful picture of children Helpless, bad rule followers, bad workers. And Jesus says, yep, those those are the ones. The kingdom belongs to them because I have to cover them in my grace. Lord Jesus, we receive your grace. And we're so grateful for the salvation we have by your grace alone. Not by what we bring. Not by what we've done. Not by how good we've been by your grace alone, through faith alone. Lord, we trust you, we love you, we thank you, Father, for your truth. Lord, I pray that South City Church would be a church that truly raises the understanding that parents are responsible for discipleship of our children. Discipleship is so important. Jesus, you said go into all the world and make disciples, but that begins in our homes. It begins with our children. And as the body of Christ, as we're discipling our children, Lord, may we love other people's children too. 
And may we serve them and care for them and bless them just as we see you doing in this story today. May we be a church, Lord God, that supports the discipleship of families, that creates environments in our homes of a Christ-intoxicated life where we all grow up in an environment of knowing and loving you, being obedient to you to make other disciples. That's our prayer. And we thank you for a beautiful service of focusing on not only our children, We bless you and we thank you for them, Lord. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.